This recording is brought to you by Whitworth University. Homecoming comes with an assumption that this place is something of home. I hope it is. There are some of you who walked these pathways 60 years ago. And there are some of you for whom these pathways are like freshly laid cement, except not wet. <laughs> if this is your first experience with homecoming or parents weekend, would you just stand up? Don't be shy. Stand up. Okay. <clears throat> That's beautiful. I want to say welcome. Stay standing for a second. Now, if you are someone who for whom this isn't your first experience with homecoming or parents weekend, I want you to go shake a hand and greet them and say welcome to the family. <laughs> Doesn't that feel great? There's a reason that people come back after 60 years. There's a reason that parents come back even though they just dropped their child off six weeks ago. And the strange thing is, no matter if it's 60 years or six weeks, the reason is the same. It's because of relationship. It's because we're made for relationship. This is how God designed us. From the very beginning of creation, relationship is supreme in God's economy. God spoke creation into existence, the land and the sea the vegetation and the creatures. And all of that he pronounced good. And then God spoke human beings into existence and said, it's not just good, this is very good. There is one thing and one thing only in all of created order that God declared not good. That one thing is relational isolation. It's not good for the human being to be utterly alone. And so we come back together. We long for each other because God designed us that way. We long for God because God designed us that way. From creation, this was God's idea that we might be united in relationship. And then Jesus the Christ came. And when he was asked, what's really important? Teacher, tell us about the greatest commandments. He said, okay, there are two. The first and great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're both relational. The most important thing in all of life is relationship. The vertical relationship with God and the horizontal relationship with one another. That's why we're here. That's why we come together. That's why we celebrate a homecoming. Some of you right now and in the last couple of days have had your heart so enlarged by what's going on around you. Classmates you haven't seen for years. Relationships that are so rich and dear to you that they feed your soul. It's like water on a desert. Here's the problem. We also know relationships can be messy. There's discord. 
their selfishness. We know that relationships can also be messy. And here's God's grace. God often uses the messiness of relationship to teach us important lessons. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. What I want to talk about is two things. First, factors that make relationship messy. And second, way more importantly, where does Jesus locate himself in the messiness of my life? Let's pray that God will open our eyes and our ears to this teaching. Lord God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of these dear ones. Thank you for the gift of relationship. We celebrate all of this. And now, God, will you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we might receive from you what you have to teach us. And upon hearing it, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but let us be doers of it as well. Be glorified in this time, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So two factors that can make relationships messy. Here's the first. Our expectations. We've all got them. They come to us very early in life. You might recall some expectations you've had from childhood. One of my earliest childhood memories is one o'clock in the afternoon every weekday, even as a preschooler, I drug my rocking horse out to the living room where the TV, which, and by the way, this will uh, let you know about how old I am. We were one of the few families on the block who had a TV, but it's a little black and white, but I pulled my rocking horse out and I mounted that thing. The truth is, I actually wore the springs out of my rocking horse because Roy Rogers was on television, (laughs) the singing cowboy. And then following Roy Rogers was Lone Ranger. And I was equipped, I'm here to tell you, I wore the springs out of my rocking horse and I developed expectations of myself as a hard-riding, sharp-shooting, justice-bringing cowboy. Then later in my life, my big expectation was I'm going to be a professional athlete. In case you haven't figured it out yet, neither one of those came true. (laughs) But here's the thing. We don't stop expecting. Not even as adults. And so you bring your student to Whitworth and you have dreams and expectations for what will be. And as a student, you have expectations for what will happen in your life, academically, vocationally, relationally. And sometimes those expectations don't turn out like you planned. In the text that we're going to examine today, some followers of Jesus had expectations. They thought they knew who Jesus would be, what he would do, and the fact that he would set up an earthly kingdom and overcome the oppressive Roman government to establish an earthly kingdom. And then came the cross. 
And these ones with all this expectation saw Jesus die. And now, the expectations that they held so lofty are shattered in bits in the Jerusalem dust at their feet. The problem isn't having expectation. We've all got them. It's healthy to expect. The problem is when your expectation blinds you to what God is doing. And that's what happened to these followers. They thought they knew, so they elevated their expectation. Meanwhile, they missed what God was actually doing. Notice this. Their expectation failed. That doesn't mean God wasn't active. I want you to hear this. There will be times in your life where your expectation fails. Do not assume that God is absent because of that failure. Because oftentimes, the crushed expectation that we have is only the theater for God's activity. And that's what happened in this case. Because there were some of Jesus' disciples who were walking away, listen to this language, who walked away saying to one another, and we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Listen to that. We had hoped. There are few things sadder, I think, than hope in the past tense. We had hoped. And in the middle of all this devastation, God breaks in. And they receive word that Jesus is in fact alive. So their crushed expectation did not stop God from doing what God wanted to do, which is raise the Jesus the Christ. But now here's the problem. I've got my expectations. They're still shattered. Notice this. Jesus did not establish an earthly kingdom. So that part of their expectation collapsed. Meanwhile, God is active. And so now the question is, where's Jesus in the middle of all that? My expectations that have crumbled, and yet God working, where's Jesus in that? And that brings us to our text. <clears throat> this is the passage God put on my heart that you should hear today. It's Luke chapter 24. So Jesus has been crucified and now risen. And his followers are having to make sense of the fact that Jesus is risen but didn't fulfill their expectation. I don't like to wear my readers when I preach. And so I bought this large print Bible. <laughs> Here's the sobering reality I came to just about six months. I need my readers to read my large print Bible. So, <clears throat> not how I expected it, but I trust God can work anyway. So here we go. <clears throat> so where's Jesus in the middle of the mess of this reality? Listen to this. Luke 24, starting at 36. While they were still talking about this, now you know what the this is. 
Now, as they were still talking about the fact that Jesus is alive, even though not in the way they expected, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Okay, so where's Jesus in this mix? The mess of my life created by expectations that weren't of God? He's in the middle of them. I love this fact about Jesus. That even when we don't get it, we impose our agenda and it's not his. He doesn't recoil. He doesn't remove himself. He doesn't distance himself from us. He comes near He stands among them and then he says, peace be with you. This peace isn't simply the ceasing of conflict or strife. This peace, this shalom, is the whole setting right of everything. Where is Jesus when my life doesn't make sense? He's in the middle of it bringing you peace that you cannot bring to yourself. And that, my friends, is really good news. So one of the things that will disrupt relationships and make my life messy is mistaken expectations. Here's the second. Emotions that lead to faulty conclusions. There's nothing wrong with emotion. God made us to be emotive beings. I'm so grateful for that. The problem isn't emotion. The problem is when my emotion leads me to a faulty conclusion. So we're going to pick up the text. And as I read it, I want you to listen very carefully for the emotion and the conclusion. Here's what happened next. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. In this passage are two dominant emotions. Did you hear them? The first was fear. The second was joy. And in this case, the crazy thing is, Both fear and joy led to the same faulty conclusion. Disbelief. So first they were afraid. And their fear kept them from seeing fully the Jesus who was already in their midst. Some of us know what that's like. Every blessed person in this room is familiar with fear. I'm afraid I won't be enough. I'm afraid I won't be smart enough. I'm afraid that the job I longed for won't ever materialize. I'm afraid that the relationship I so desperately wanted won't come to be. I'm afraid that the relationship I've got will end. I'm afraid I'm not smart enough, pretty enough, strong enough. 
We all know what that's like. And fear can disrupt the belief that Jesus wants you to have and the recognition of Jesus right here in our midst. Fear. And here's the second thing. The second emotion that can interrupt our lives and make them messy is joy. You ever felt like something was too good to be true? I remember falling in love with my wife. Overjoyed with what was happening between us and thinking, how can this be? She knows me so well and loves me so deeply. How can that be? It's too good to be true. I've thought this at times about Whitworth. Too good to be true that a place like this will have somebody like me? Are you kidding? I know some of you feel that too. That a place as rich as this is will have you? Seems too good to be true. I sometimes wonder about this combination of fear and joy. Okay, so let me get this straight. They can't believe because they're afraid, and they can't believe because they're joyful. I wonder sometimes if Jesus had a mark right here on his forehead from going like this a lot. Okay, okay let me get this straight. So you were just talking about how I've risen, and then I actually prove it by coming in your midst, and you won't believe it because you're afraid. Then I show you myself, and you won't believe it because you're overwhelmed with amazement. What is a savior to do? <laughs> Please listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. This is the dominant lesson I learned in preparing this message. What does a savior do when both fear and joy keep you from believing? Here's what the savior does. Invites you to intimacy. I hope you caught the intimacy of the passage I just read. In the middle of all this mess and confusion that is our lives, Jesus says, look at me, touch me, feed me. Intimacy is Jesus' answer to being paralyzed by either fear or joy. Let me be close to you because I love you desperately. When your life feels like this mess of fear and or joy, come close to the intimacy of Jesus. It's what he invites you to. You can have that intimacy as you read about Jesus the Christ revealed in scripture, as you pray in your own intimate relationship with him, as you fellowship with other people who are also following him, come to that intimacy. So here we are. We started with homecoming. The truest sense of home is to live in intimacy with Jesus. In that intimacy, my agenda gets reoriented. 
In that intimacy, my expectations get conformed to his. In that intimacy, my mix of emotion finds peace in Jesus the Christ. In that intimacy, I find the truest sense of real home. God bless you as you live into that reality. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Thank you for these dear ones. Thank you for what we've heard. And now will you solidify it in our lives so that in our agendas, in our emotion, we can find our true home in you. And for that, we will celebrate in Jesus' name. Amen.